This is Podco Media Networks. Welcome to the Peace Love Plants Podcast. I am your host, Marco Knox, aka the Phytogenic Chef. My guest on this week's episode is embarking on a journey only a few have ever completed alive. But Taryn Steinberg is up for the challenge. He's an ultra endurance athlete that has completed two Ironmans with top 5% finishes in both. He runs ultra marathons up to 145 miles, and he scales mountains like Long's Peak in Colorado, for example, which, by the way, is just north of 14,000 feet in elevation. Pretty impressive to say the least. But his next epic challenge? Let me just say, I couldn't believe it when I heard it for the first time. But as you're about to hear, it's very real. You see, Terrence is on a purpose filled mission to inspire a more courageous world raise scholarships, protect the oceans, and much more. How is he going about all of this? By solo rowing across the Pacific Ocean. San Francisco to Hawaii, 2,500 miles, completely self-supported. If your shoulders hurt just thinking about that many miles rowing, you're not alone. Mine too. But soreness is just one of the many challenges Terrence will have to deal with on this enormous several-month-long journey. So, get ready to meet Tez, as his friends call him, as we dive into Becoming Your Own Inspiration, a journey across the Pacific with Terrence Steinberg. So Terrence, would it be fair to say that your next athletic endeavor is the most difficult one you faced yet? They don't even compare. Orders of magnitude. (laughs) Yeah, completely different scale. So help me understand, what exactly is it that you're embarking on? So I'm attempting, Marco, this coming spring to be the eighth person ever to row solo and self-supported 2,500 miles from California to Hawaii in a 23-foot rowboat by myself. Wow, that is a lot. And I want to get into that. But it's also a purpose-filled mission, right? Exactly. Yeah. Look, anything this difficult, you can't only do it for yourself. No doubt. So take me back a bit. Let's back up. You weren't always knocking down Ironmans and scaling mountains with hopes of rowing across the ocean. Uh, Take me back to the events that prompted you to become an ultra-endurance athlete. I think it was, what was it, 10 years ago maybe, or am I off on that time frame? No, you're right on. It's about 10, 12 years ago. Most proximate trigger, Marco, I was in college and was going through depression at the time. And my housemate just said, hey, let's sign up for a little triathlon together. And it, it got me off the couch, you know? What I found, though, was, well, obviously exercise makes you feel better, but there's something more to it. And the longer the race, the better I did over time. And I realized it helped me feel whole and then be able to apply myself also to the other things in life I care about. And one thing leads to another. You know, I would have never guessed that fast forward 10 years, I'd be attempting to row across an ocean. But that's, that's just how the story is written. So here you are, ready to row across the ocean. So off the couch, what do you mean off the couch? Were you literally not athletic at all? Or or do you have any prior background in athletics? I was into sports and fitness, but at that point in my life, I was just smoking a lot of spliffs, to be honest. Like I might get on my bike and ride around town or go to the gym a little bit. I was an average, you know, athlete. I was in decent shape. I did team sports, but I'd always been fascinated by racing. Yeah, And as a kid, I grew up in the Adirondack Mountains, a state park in upstate New York, right? Mm-hmm. The nearest neighbors were like 10 minutes away. So nature was always at my doorstep. 
And as a kid, I wanted to ski race, like downhill racing, but we didn't have the money, man. Like I had hand-me-down equipment and skiing is super expensive. So I always yeah. had this thing in my mind of like, I want to race. And it was out of reach. And once I started doing triathlons, I was like, wow, actually, this has been a, something I've wanted to do my whole life. And here you are. <laughs> You've done the triathlons. So from couch to triathlons to running 145 mountains, miles, excuse me, scaling mountains to now rowing from California to Hawaii. So the mission, we touched on it earlier, it's a purpose-filled mission. Walk me through that a little bit. What is the purpose behind your mission? I, I've heard you speak about it, but help my, my listeners understand. So the row is called the United World Challenge. Mm -hmm. And I call it the United World Challenge for a few reasons. One, because when I was 17, Marco, I got a scholarship to a school called the United World College. And that changed my life. And so through this row, I want to pay that experience forward to new students to attend United World Colleges or UWCs, as they're called. So that's part of the mission. The other part is, look, growing up in the mountains and nature, I realize nature is so important for our way of life, for su sustaining ourselves, for our economy, as well as our emotional and spiritual well-being, and I want to protect it. And the North Pacific has a place called the Great Pacific Garbage Patch, an mm -hmm. area the size of Texas that where plastic outweighs plankton six to one. That was the statistic over 10 years ago. I bet it's much higher now. And basically, plastic from across the ocean gathers in this gyre. And I'll be rowing through it, right? Sharing photos and videos and helping show that our actions on land have an impact elsewhere. And so, you know, that's another piece of the mission here. I'm partnering with an organization that's actually doing a, some awesome work around cleanup efforts and stopping plastic at the source. So that's a really important part of the United World Challenge as well. That's fascinating. Now, where that college that you mentioned that you uh, received a scholarship from, where is that located? So there are 18 UWCs around the world. And although they're called United World Colleges, they're actually high schools. Ah. So that's why I was 17 when I went. The, the one I attended, the UWC of the Adriatic, is in northern Italy. Wow. And this school has 200 students from 85 countries. And all of us, Marco, were on full scholarships. Now, this was 2004, the height of the American-Iraq War. When I rock up, I'm thinking, wow, I wonder how my Iraqi classmates are going to think of me, having you know, invaded yeah. their country, right? Likewise, they were worried about meeting me. Turns out we have more in common than different. And the same is the case for students from India and Pakistan, from Israel and Palestine. We all work through some shit and then get to know each other as people. Right. Mm -hmm. And so these friends from 12 years ago are still some of my closest friends. And that's the case with students who go to any of these UWCs around the world. We got scholarships and I think it's our duty to pay that forward for new students. No doubt. It's it's fascinating. 200 students in your school. That is a tight knit group. So, I mean, like you touched on, the, the relationships you formed are, are lifelong. And it's fascinating. The common thread it's humanity, right? I mean, we're all humans. And we put these, we, not you and I, but society so many times puts these barriers around us. But at our core, we're all humans and we all, we all have this sense of being. So that's fascinating. So we've talked about your why and what you're going to do. 
Tell me what it's going to be like. I know that you changed missions a little bit, so now you're leaving from California, and I, I read something about the continental shelf. I, I will say the mission stays the mission same. Mission stays the same, right? Uh, correct. The, the, mission, the mission is to inspire a more courageous world, raise scholarships, protect the oceans. The exact ocean doesn't matter so much. In fact, this mission is even more ambitious. Yeah, so tell me about it. I mean, why is it more ambitious? Is it because of the, the where you're taking off from, or...? Several factors. So ocean rowing typically happens from island to island because when you launch from an island, you're already in an ocean weather system, Yeah, which is safer. Yeah. And the most dangerous part of ocean rowing is starting and finishing. So the Atlantic route that most people row is from the Canary Islands to the Caribbean. There's a race happening right now. It began on December 12th. And that's what I first envisioned doing was that race and and you follow the trade winds. Now launching from California on the other hand there are a few reasons why only 7 people in history have completed this route as a solo rower. And one traffic, right? San Francisco yeah. Bay, huge ships. Mm-hmm. You can't outrun them. You got to be pretty careful. Two intense currents, so you have to factor that in to navigating with the ships. Another reason is the continent. This is this is really a big reason. The continent creates its own weather pattern. Mm-hmm. California gets hot. The air rises. At night, when I take a break, or even if I'm just taking a break during the day to eat, I get blown back to shore, okay, because of the wind that pulls from the ocean back onto land where the air is rising. That doesn't happen when you launch from an island. Mm-hmm. Now, teams of two, three, four can push through that, but as a solo, really difficult. And the third reason, as you mentioned, the continental shelf extends about 30 miles off the coast. So the ocean's actually not that deep. Might just be, you know, 30 to 100 meters for miles and miles and miles. And then it drops off. And at that drop off, you have breakers. So you have to push through a huge wall of white water. And then you're out in the open ocean. So you're surfing 30 miles off the coast. Yeah. (laughs) Now, when you say breakers, now, ironically, I I lived in San Francisco area for a couple of years. So I'm familiar with your with your takeoff point. I can visualize it. And it's that's intense. I I mean, for me, I would be afraid of the Great Whites. I mean, because that day is I can't wait, man. Yeah, I can't can't wait to see them. Uh, Yeah. So you you're prepared to see that type of uh, wildlife. Yeah, I totally want to see it. I want to see the wildlife. Front and center, up close. I mean, that's another reason the Pacific is more exciting. There's just so much wildlife on this route compared to the Atlantic. And how big is this rowboat that you're going to be in? Paint the picture for me what this is going to look like if you can. Yeah, it's 23 feet long. It has two airtight, watertight cabins on either end of the boat. What that means is I can take shelter in the cabin. I'll sleep inside the cabin. And those cabins also act as air bubbles in the event of a capsize mm-hmm. the boat self writes there's ballast with equipment in the bottom of the boat and so these things are designed to handle whatever the ocean throws at them as long as the cabin door is closed in the event of a capsize so that's just mind-boggling to me i'm, I'm listening to you and i'm visualizing this as you, as you talk about it i'm not trying to jinx you here but what is what if there's an emergency what is your is there an exit strategy? There must be, right? Yes and no, right? So in <laughs> <No>. recent, <laughs> I mean, let's be real. Like I've been working on this for three years. I've put half of every paycheck into this project. Yeah, I've launched a crowdfund. People have given me $65,000 nearly on the crowdfund. I'm working with corporate sponsors. Like when I launch, I will have done all of my homework to know exactly what I need to do to solve a problem when it arises. Because it's not an if, it's a when. 
Right. There will be times when I want to quit. There will be times when equipment breaks and I need to know how to fix it. Mm-hmm. The bailout plan in the event that something catastrophic happened and I was either going to leave the boat or die, mm-hmm. then I get picked up by a passing vessel. There's no support boat following me. It's pretty simple. You get on the satellite phone, call land, they relay the nearest passing vessel, Good Samaritan Mariner standards, basically. They come to your aid and you climb on board a massive freighter, typically, and abandon this boat that I've put a ton of money into and people have supported me to build. So not really keen on that option. No, that's, that's <laughs> um, not plan A. Not plan A. So it's about, it's about fixing, you know, whatever comes your way, which is the same thing you have in life. You know, right. we, <laughs> we all face that moment in life where like, do I keep going or do I bail? And mm-hmm. this is no different. Wow. So, and, and it's not as if you're going to be right next to, I mean, I'm sure at some point along your journeys, you will be by some ships and, and, and channels, I'd imagine. But in this scenario you just presented, if something were to happen, I mean, you could be out there for days until someone was able to get to you. Yeah. So it's funny timing, actually, Marco. So ocean rowing has been happening in modern history for 53 years. Mm-hmm. The first pair to row an ocean in recent history was 1966. Now in those 53 years, nine people have lost their lives at sea in ocean rowing. And one individual is of those nine. Uh, he just passed away the past two weeks. So he made a bunch of questionable decisions, mm-hmm. including not taking a life raft, including not having backup communication devices, satellite phones, some basic stuff, to be totally honest with you, mm-hmm. like basic stuff. You never hear of someone leaving without this stuff. Especially a life raft. I mean, <laughs> dude, yeah. The boat is also designed in terms of its weight balance and how it will self right based on the life raft also acting as a ballast based on where it's positioned on the deck. So, anyway, he capsized in the middle of the Pacific. He had rowed past Hawaii and was going to China. And um, he capsized. He didn't self right. He alerted land back in the, in the US. Some ships came to his aid. They found the boat upturned, but not him. And um, like I said, it's not a common thing, nine people in 53 years, but yeah. in most instances, it's because of questionable decisions, let's say, rather than just circumstance. Yeah, exactly. And it sounds like you've been very thorough and done your due diligence to prepare for anything that may happen out there. I'm not messing around, man. Yeah, I can tell. You, I, I've, I've read thoroughly over your story and your website. Now, did you form United World Challenge? Is that your, your yes. cause? Okay. Yes. So it's not something you joined in on. You actually formed this. Now, are, are you inspiring others to create their own missions and, and do whatever? In life. Yeah. In life, man. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> Get beautiful. after it. So the other idea is the United World Challenge. I didn't want to set up Terrence's Ocean Row. Yeah. You know, I wanted something that's a bigger, more independent brand so that after this row is over, if there are other alumni from United World Colleges mm-hmm. who are inspired they could use the United World Challenge platform, brand, nonprofit yeah. status, accounts, following, relationships with sponsors, all of this blueprint that I've built and take it and do something else, right? So that's the longer term vision. I got to ask you, did you see yourself doing this as, as a kid? Was this, was this part of the game plan? Were you forward thinking that enough? Or what was your, was your idea as a kid to, to do in life? Surely not rolling across the ocean. Not really across an ocean. That was pretty far from mine, having grown up in the mountains. <laughs> but I spent a lot of time alone mm-hmm. as a kid. My parents were either working or they split up early as well. So my mom was working. My siblings were older and they got out of the house. 
I was around myself a lot and nature. And I enjoyed that. And it also was the safe space, man, because I saw like my siblings fighting with my parents, my parents fighting with each other. And I just felt best by myself. And so from an early age, I remember when I got my first bicycle with gears at 10 years old, it was a hand-me-down bike. I had to ride with a screwdriver in my hand to tighten the gear shift, right? Because it just kept slipping. Not even kidding. So I would ride and tighten this thing up. And I remember the first thought I got when I got it, I was like, ooh, I could ride this to Canada. Which, you know, in hindsight, it's like, oh, I guess I was thinking of running away. But, (laughs) (laughs) But the idea was like, this bike is freedom. And I always had this idea of self-propelling, going through nature, being, you know, I didn't have the clarity of, oh, I'll row across an ocean or I'll be an adventurer that inspires other people and makes movies and books and talks. But in a sense, there's a common theme throughout where I feel connected to myself and nature when I'm out self-propelling through it. Fascinating. So you mentioned movies. Is is there going to be any film? I mean, has someone approached you about filming this? I mean, this is an epic challenge. I would imagine you're getting approached to do a documentary of some sort. That is the plan. So documentary after the, after the fact, but the thing I'm most excited about Marco actually is creating an interactive multimedia map throughout the row. I saw that. Talk to me, talk to me about that. So we're planning to make the first such map of its kind. Basically I'll be pushing content back to a team on land Mm -hmm. who create a map. So imagine you're looking at Google map, let's say of the Pacific from California to Hawaii. And each day on the row, you see this route row. Yeah. And then on that route that I'm rowing, milestones. And you click a milestone, it opens up the photos, videos, podcast, blog of that day. And so in this way, you're able to see the content in the context of place and time. You're not like looking at it on social media. You're like, wait, where did this take place? Or you're like, oh, wait, I want to see the video from day one where he was so scared and confused. Well, you just go back to the first milestone. You don't have to scroll through all this stuff. Mm-hmm. And this has never been made before. So when you see like the route do a curly cue because I'm in a storm, I'm like, wait, what happened there? Yeah. And this is going to be built out throughout the row. And it'll be hosted not just on my website, but on partner websites because you can embed the map like a YouTube video where it automatically will load the latest content. So this is how I'm scaling my reach for my sponsors. Mm-hmm. I'm going to get visibility for lots and lots of people to see and then repeatedly engage in this project and hopefully inspire a lot of people as well and understand what's going on in the, in the Pacific Garbage Patch. So, you know, the film after the fact, super exciting, and that can reach a lot of people. I'm most excited right now about building out this story map. Yeah. And interactive. So you'll people will be able to engage with you as you're doing your rowing? Yeah, in fact, so I actually launched a podcast as well, Marco. And I listened to it. Great to, job, by the way. Thank you. I appreciate that. So a classmate from middle school up in the Adirondack Mountains. Mm-hmm. I haven't seen him since 2004. He found me on Facebook. He's like, yo, I love podcasts. You want to do something? I was like, yes. <laughs> so we're doing, we're doing recordings now. And then when I'm at sea, I'll send him audio samples every day. He'll stitch them into weekly episodes and then gather questions from listeners send them back to me so I can answer the questions from the ocean. So means like that, we'll be able to weave in people's questions in a variety of ways. Man, that has to be challenging as you're rowing through these massive waves, the Pacific garbage patch, on your way to Hawaii, solo rowing, fielding questions and getting back to them. Man, you just try- the bar was here when I first got on the phone with you. Now it's up here. Man, that is taking on a lot but I'm confident. I mean, I'm talking to you and I see it in your eyes. People can't tell that we're on video right now, but they're just listening to audio. But I can see the passion and your story is quite obvious on your website. The passion just seeps through the website. So I can tell you're going to do it. But man, that's a lot. You know, it's, it, it is a lot, Marco. And when I get there and there are moments where I feel 
scared or nervous about this project. It's about not being able to fulfill my ambitions with the storytelling, with the engagement. Like if anything, I think one of my areas of development is maybe, uh, <laughs> maybe I overpromise, but that's part of being an entrepreneur is I have to tell everyone what is happening before there's even evidence for it. Because if I don't believe it, they're not going to believe it. Yeah. So in order to get the story map team to the table, that's to, that they're developing this in kind. I need to be able to explain to them all the other pieces that are happening yeah. you know, while the crowdfund is still growing. And so I realize it is a heck of a lot mm-hmm. that I'm, set, I'm setting the bar really high. And sometimes I'm like, oh gosh, have I bit off a lot here? But I don't want to do it any other way. Yeah. And the... I want to have you back. Are you willing to come back and talk about your training aspect of what goes into this? Because I'm sure it's intense and I want to hear about it. What do you mean training? <laughs> well, I mean, it's not, I know you're not just going to jump off the couch one day, throw, take off your pajamas and jump into a boat and row across the ocean. Yeah. You've got to be prepared. Uh, yeah. You're so, right. uh, yeah, that's right. But, uh, you know, these podcasts, as, as we talked about, they're, they're snippets. They're 20 minutes or so to, to captivate the audience. But would you come back and, and maybe we can sit down again and talk about that aspect of this? Yeah, 100%. So I'll launch the row aiming for April, depends on a weather window. So mm-hmm. sometime in early 2020, would love to talk to you about the training that I'll be doing in my boat. Beautiful, beautiful. Well, Terrence, this is, I, I, my mind was blown before I got on this podcast with you. Now it's just completely blown, but in a good way. I, I'm inspired. It makes me feel like I want to go, I'd like to cycle. Certainly not Ironman cycle like you, but maybe I can pick up a few tips from you and and jump on my bike and just start. Maybe I'll ride across the country. Who knows? There we go. (laughs) You're an inspiration, (laughs) brother. Uh, I can't thank you enough for uh, spending some time with me. If there's anything I can do, I certainly will. And tell the listeners where they can find out more about what you're doing. Thank you, Marco. So you can follow the United World Challenge on unitedworldchallenge.org or look up the challenge on social media. Again, United World Challenge. If you're inspired by this mission, whether it's to send students to schools for international understanding or our mission to support ocean cleanup, you can support at unitedworldchallenge.org. There's a crowdfund, and I would love to have your support on that. But at the very least, if you like this story, follow along and be part of the crew. Thank you. Absolutely. Thank you, man. And I'll include all that in my show notes for all the listeners. And uh, I can't wait to talk to you again. Thanks, Terrence. Beautiful. Thank you, Marco. A little insane mixed with a lot of inspiration, right? I mean, solo rowing from San Francisco to Hawaii is no small task. What Terrence is doing to pay it forward for others is beyond just inspiring. He's literally risking his life to help others. Some might call that a modern day hero. I know I do. I'm grateful for having the opportunity to meet and speak with such a courageous and humble human being. His story is just beginning and one that undoubtedly will have a far reaching positive impact for years to come. I hope you enjoyed learning about Terrence and his mission. If you'd like to learn more, see my show notes and check out the United World Challenge website, where you can follow along the progress and journey. Sounds like Terrence has some really interesting interactive ways to be part of his mission. That is all for this week's episode. Next Monday, we head south to the warm waters of Northeast Florida and meet Karen Knox, the founder of Beachy Buddha Life. She's on a mission to help you live a life with an abundance of gratitude, health, and happiness. One that has lived with purpose and on purpose. Until then, peace, love, and plants. Mm-hmm.